Bring in the Closers, Season 3, Episode 1. Ben, I've got some breaking news for you. Do you want to hear it? Yes, sir. Let's hear I, it. I, I realized I didn't publish the last two episodes of Season 2. And you just said Season 3. So we're, yes. we're, we're pretty far off the, off, the, off the scales here. What's happening? What's going on? Uh, yeah, so I'm going to have to publish. So we have like an end of the year one that never got published. So it will be coming out. But yeah, so apologies. That's on me. I'll take that L. I, that's my fault. No one else would for be those that, For those that are wondering what my face looks like, because you can't see it because you can only hear the audio, um, I am absolutely shocked by that information. Would have never guessed that, that would happen. Um, uh, you know. Ryan, you're you're usually infallible, so you're 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 allowed you know an occasional misstep. So that's all right. Okay. Well, thank we'll, you we'll for persevere. Thank you for that, I suppose. Okay, Ben, the Great Resignation historical data and a deeper analysis show is not as great as screaming headlines suggest. Now, I have a lot of thoughts about the Great Resignation, um, where it might be heading, some of the the um, fallout from it. But you, oh wise one, always get the first word here. So go ahead. What are your thoughts on the Great Resignation? Well, for the folks that may not have any idea what you're talking about, why don't you give us a, a definition of what that is first and, and paint the landscape? Um, you know, you're usually pretty good about asking me like the first question out of the gate with no preamble or no background and just like, hey, what do you think about this thing? Let's let's try to give the people a little bit of background to, to make you. Uh, I, I assume that our listeners which are the smartest in the world, understand these terms. And they are coming here to be enlightened slightly above what they already know. But if you want to talk down to them, then so be it. The Great Resignation, this is from Google because you wanted a definition. The Great Resignation is a phenomenon that describes record number of people leaving their jobs after the COVID-19 pandemic ends. And the question is, what do I think about that? Well, generally, do you buy it? Do you think it's a good thing? Do you think it's a bad thing? Just wherever you want to start at on that spectrum. I don't know if it's good or bad. I mean, I certainly, I don't know if it's like I can buy or not buy. I mean, the, the numbers are the numbers. I mean, we, we've seen, you know, uh, there in, in the last two years, we've seen a lot of people that were, you know, on the cusp of, you know, could have retired in two to five years, you know, taking that early exit. We've seen a number of companies, um, you know, come out of pocket to pay some of those people to, you know, to take the severance and, and to move on uh, to cut headcount or, uh, or, you know, other efficiencies. Um, we've also seen a lot of people, you know, do phenomenally well in the stock market in, in other markets and, and be, uh, maybe launch, you know, launch entrepreneurial ventures. If you look at some of the small business numbers and entrepreneurial, you know, LLC, solopreneur venture numbers in the last couple of years, we've seen an unprecedented uptick in that activity. And so I think that's a kind of a combination of factors of folks are leaving the workforce in droves in, in the traditional nine to five cents and, and finding other ways to, you know, to make ends meet. Um, you know, I think that one of the things that you and I have talked about uh, a little bit that I think is heavily at play here is, you know, for years now, the, uh, you know, I don't know if your parents, you know, told you this, I was lucky that my parents were never well, actually, my mom was to a degree, but my, never, my dad was never, um, you know, the, the type to, you know, hey, you, you get a job after college, you work a nine to five, you work there for 40 years, you show them, you know, the loyalty, and then you, you know, you retire with a pension. And like that, that used to be the roadmap, right? That used to be the way things were done. That, that now is either non-existent or very, very, very rare. And so I think, you know, sort of the, the re-education of the, of the job market in the sense that the, you know, the, 
optionality of going from job to job. You know, if you if you used to have a resume that you know saw you bouncing from job to job every one and a half, two, four years, that used to be looked at as a negative. I don't think that's a negative anymore. I think that that I, I don't necessarily think it's a positive, but I don't think that's looked at as a detractor. I think that uh, you know the market has sort of educated itself on the fact that really the value in the labor pool is, and I know this is a crazy concept for some, but the value in the labor pool is actually the person providing the labor. And so they, you know, they deserve and have started to accrete more, you know, more power at the table, at the bargaining table, if, um, if you will. And so with this great resignation, I think what we're seeing is, you know, it's a combination of people leaving careers or leaving jobs and doing something else or starting new businesses, or like I said, sort of that, that on the cusp of retirement, just taking the early send off. Um, and I think all of those things are good for the market. I think they're healthy indicators. You know, if people are able to retire, I don't know if it's retire early. I don't know if that's the right qualification there, but if the people are able to retire earlier um, and also if people are able to have more career mobility, I think those are all really, really positive things. And, and, and those are all, um, all, you know, major positives that have come out of the digital era and some of the, you know, the new tech stuff. Um, so I think it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's sort of a, I think it might be the first stages of the reset of, you know, some of the stuff that we've talked about, again, some of the stuff that we've talked about on previous podcasts uh, with, you know, the automation of workforces, et cetera. I think that's, that's sort of all contextual here. You covered a lot of ground there. So no, it's, for those impressive. That, it's impressive. No, for, the, for those that, that have listened to this podcast uh, enough, uh, you'll notice that when Ryan asked me like a, what color do you like on Tuesday? Usually those answers are really pretty long because I don't have a specific answer. Like I don't have a question I'm answering. I'm just sort of like, what do you think about people? You know, that's a tough question. I was giving to you a compliment. No, I know. I know. And so, so, so if, but, you know, but if you would ask me like a specific like question, you know, you might get a more detailed, detailed answer, but why don't you go ahead and try to unpack the 96 things that I said on the preamble there? Which you don't, well, okay, the, the, I guess these are the smartest listeners in the world. You caught the passive aggressive nature of Ben's response there, but I will, I will ignore that despite the fact I'll get 400 text messages about something. He's, about he's ignoring it except for calling it out on air and talking about it for a good 10 seconds, but, but he's ignoring it. That was my it, passive so. aggressive back. I was, what? Gosh, okay. Listen, if anybody has seen any episode of the two of us on air and that's bringing the closers, don't the facts, pick, pick a show like morning off, morning off the rails was especially aggressive. Um, I mean, the passive aggressive, that's sort of that's like on brand. That's part of the That's part of the deal here. So that shouldn't okay. that shouldn't come as a surprise. That should be a selling point. OK, I want to talk about the worker mobility Let's because I think that's interesting. I've got mixed thoughts on this. Um, a. I think it is good, obviously, for the worker to be able to earn as much income as they can. So that's good. Um, I, I do wonder, though, when you kind of play the merry-go-round, right? You hop from job to job to, to, to get more money. At some point, there is a risk-reward trade-off that maybe doesn't get talked about as much, right? So um, A is, let's say you just pick a number here, you start out making 20, you go 20, 22, you go 24, you go 26, you go 28, you make it 30. Then five years, you've gone up $10 an hour. Great, good for you. That also might mean, doesn't, might is a keyword here, that when the times get tough, because you have gone up so much in a short period of time, you get cut sooner because you're working against the margins compared to someone making 20, right? Also, it could mean that people go, well, 
we know that you know Bob's new here, and sometimes it's first out, first go. So I, I think that those are things that um, that I'm not sure. How do you talk to people? Um, people about about how to because you want to make more money, but there's also it's, it's not it's not a I'm going to make more money and therefore everything's going to work out right. There there is some cost benefit. No, what? I I don't think about it that way in the sense of I don't think the leading indicator necessarily is always money. I think that there's a lot of times where. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've had this experience, but, but I've had this experience in the past where it was clear that I had worked to the top of the organization that I was going to be allowed to work up to, and there was no upward mobility available for me. And so a lateral move or even a downward move in income to a different company that allows me more upward mobility is you, you know, generally going to be a good choice you know, if, if that's the goal, right? And so it's not necessarily just wages that I'm talking about. It can be, and it can also be, you know, going from a company of a headcount of 10,000 to a company of a headcount of eight, mm-hmm. those sort of, and again, that, that may come with a, to your point, that may come with a substitute pay cut, but maybe a better bet or better play in the long run, depending on the goals, right? And so it's not just about the paycheck. That's, that, that was the only pushback. Okay. I had. No, 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 that's fine. Um, with that being said, though, you did talk about these kind of the, um, the retail meme stock investors, some of them who made a bunch of money. You also have people who were laid off, people who didn't want to get the vaccine. That's part of the reason for this resignation. There's a lot of reasons that people are leaving quote unquote, quote unquote, corporate America, either going to a small business or starting their own business. And I think that is good for a lot of reasons. Now, sadly, a lot of these won't work because that's just the way new startups are. Um, but I think it's good to have employees who have tried or did run and left for whatever reason, their own businesses. That, that helps the negotiation of the labor part a lot more. Um, so much of the problem with the labor negotiation is you have the, um, these rules that say, well, you've got to kind of fit every employee into this box. Uh, and if you've always been a lifelong employee, you never have had to think through all the implications on the management side or the ownership side of how to structure employee contracts and what you're limited to. So I think, kind of how many of these new um, young entrepreneurs will be successful is yet to be seen. But I do think it will re- reset and re- uh, re- uh, shift the paradigm um, for labor negotiations in the future. Because, you know, if you own your own business and you're trying to negotiate a labor contract, you have a different perspective than someone who hasn't. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think it's... I don't know how I don't know how health you know how much of the or blah, 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 I can't what am I trying to say um, I don't know how much of the factor it is here but also I mean you know one of the things I think you follow at, um, underscore SMB underscore attorney on Twitter um, re- really intelligent uh, he's an MA attorney um, for, for one of the major firms in, in the U.S. and one of the things that he was talking about recently is as part of this great resignation. One of the other things that's, you know, sort of a, a leading indicator there, something that's going to be happening over the next, um, I think his point was the next five or 10 years. I think it may be even shorter than that. Uh, but there are tens of millions of business owners that are in that, you know, 55 plus range. They don't have, you know, a, a next of kin to pass the business on to. You don't have, a, you know, don't have someone to just hand it off to it. And those, all those businesses, you know, they're either going to die on the vine or get acquired by somebody. And that, you know, that, again, that great resignation, you're not just talking about the company owner there, you're talking about all the headcount there. And, and so that, that transfer of wealth 
I guess is a better way, maybe more a better way to phrase what I'm talking about there. But that transfer of wealth and that those transfer of jobs, et cetera, um, you know, I think that we're sort of seeing the the beginning stages of that as well. Do you see you see that same current? Yeah. So you you sparked something in me that I've been thinking about. I'm gonna tease that last year on the podcast because that's always a great idea. Um so for those for those listening, it's very rarely a good idea. But we but Brian and I do that every week. Every it's week. very rarely a good idea. But <laughs> it's never continue. a good idea, but whatever. Um okay. Um so for the historians, don't email me. But essentially, if you went back, um, we're in 2022, so we'll say 150 years ago, just to pick a number, okay? Maybe 200 years ago, whatever. The large company didn't exist except for in a very few small instances. And it didn't exist like it really did until the Industrial Revolution um, and the, the assembly line, all that stuff, right? So what we had was these very small businesses, you know, you might were... Um, a blacksmith, you and your son, and maybe you had one or two laborers or whatever, very, very small niche businesses. And we've blown that model up. And that's been a good thing. That's why we have air conditioning and iPhones and cameras and all this cool stuff now. But I do wonder if part of this great resignation is we'll go back to a little bit more niche, small businesses. And so, you know, if you're in home service, home cleaning services, if you're in, um, you know, I don't know, you'll start a tire shop repair, um, whatever. You want to start a, a little bit more of a niche, small business that doesn't require 400, 600, 75 employees. You and four buddies can do it. Uh, I wonder if we're going to see more of that trend and put a little bit more um, workers in that part of the industry instead of looking towards, towards corporate America. Because in that part, you know, you, so me, Ben, and two buddies, we could start a tire shop and, and split the profits four ways and probably make a really good amount of money if we all had equitable talents to bring to the business um, and, you know, hire two or three employees to help us out. But if we wanted to work 40 hours a week, we could do that. And so we could, so I wonder if you'll see some of this rethinking of entrepreneurship as well. Um, what are your thoughts on that? No, I think so. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things, it's not exactly what you're talking about, but one of the things that I think is going to become more and more uh, part of the U S workforce is, you know, uh, there's for anyone following you know, um, either one of us on Twitter or some of the, uh, the you know, more entrepreneurial or SMB accounts on Twitter, uh, th there's been some pretty fervent uh, conversation this week about utilizing virtual assistants, uh, you know, in, in the Philippines and some of the other places. And I think it's a fascinating conversation, you know, sitting here, you know, Ryan, you and I sitting here as business owners in the, in America, you know, if we were looking to onboard somebody that, that was, you know, that was worth their, uh, worth their salt and, and was going to do a good job. Let's, let's pick a job. Let's pick a position. Let's say that we were going to hire an executive assistant. You know, you're probably paying that person somewhere, depending on you know, uh, range and, and where you're at and what they're doing, you're probably paying them somewhere between, let's say, 20 to $40 an hour, give, give a large range. Um, and, and so, you know, and you can model that and run that, you know, that business. Um, and that's the living wage for that person is probably in that, in that ballpark. I think one of the things that kind of gets lost in translation or, or lost in the nuance in the conversation when talking about the overseas virtual assistance is that, you know, number one, so let's just start that, you know, the price point is substantively less for the business owner. And so, you know, if you or I were to go hire a virtual assistant on, you know, out of the Philippines, let's say, you know, that may cost somewhere closer to five to $9 an hour, which is a substantive savings for the business owner. And I think if the conversation stops there, you know, that, that, that can connote some negative things and, and, and whatever. But I think the really important part of that conversation is when compared to the minimum wage or the job availability in the, in the locale that they're in. So in the Philippines, you know, that, that same person 
what job are they going to be able to get if they're not be, being hired by a U.S.-based firm at that you know five to nine dollars an hour number? You know, the minimum wage in the Philippines, for example. Um, and, and I don't want I don't want to misquote, so I apologize if this is wrong. I'm pretty sure that I'm right, but I could be I could be wrong. Uh, but I think it's closer to like a dollar fifty or something like that. And so it's substantively less. And, and so there's you know there's an argument to be made for you know the five to nine dollars an hour that the person in the Philippines is making. That, that's a that's a very good wage for that market for that person and, and so I think that's a you know I think that it, that should be looked at as a positive that you know that, that you're providing jobs overseas then you get into the conversation of you know should we be providing jobs overseas or domestically uh, and I think you know the reason I picked the Philippines is that's you know a lot closer to home than some of these others right and so when, when I look at again when I look at the you know the great resignation you know is there some of the workforce that's being that's that's leaving? Are they being replaced by some of these satellite workforces that, you know, to your circling all the way back, going back to your point, you know, is it easier to a degree to staff like the tire shop um, with people here because you're not competing, like it's not the same labor pool, there's a, there's a much larger labor pool and you're able to get, you're able to arguably you're able to pick, you know, have a pick of the litter. Does that make sense? Does that thesis sort of jive with you or my? Oh, I mean, I've been advocating that that's a good thing for years. So yeah, I mean, I think, well, I mean, patently false. What? I mean, what? we've had episodes that don't like the facts where I've argued for this and you've gone on a whole long diatribes about how that's not true, but that, whatever. Um, yes, I've always, I've always been in favor of offshoring labor. I think it's a, a fantastic thing. For those, for those that are wondering, I only said the side comment because so I actually have onboarded uh, right now. I have three, uh, three virtual assistants that are working for me ostensibly all full-time. I think they average about 30 hours a week. Um, and anytime I mention that, I'm actually surprised Ryan hasn't said something yet, but anytime I mention that Ryan uh, throws a little dig at me about like how I should be doing all the work. He, he likes to see me work like 300 hours a week for some reason. Well, that's, I don't, really know I don't like you. That's, but, that's not nothing to do with people in the Philippines. Um, oh, no, no, it's a Ben thing. No. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I, okay. yeah. Fully aware. Okay. Um, no, no, I think offshoring is great. I think it's fantastic. That's part of what I wanted to get to as well which is what I want to see is Ben's business A, which has you know, 150 VAs um, and Bob's business B, which has 150 local employees and let them compete. That's what we, if you're a capitalist, that's what you believe in. You believe in letting the market compete. And so if the VA can do it better and the customer's happy, then so be it. If the local business can do it better, then so be it. I don't, I don't have a problem with a dog in the hunt on a, which, what's the better way to do it? That's the beauty of the market is we let people compete. Um, and we've and, and so I think part of the dust up that we see is if you're a low skill worker, you should be concerned because now we're saying, well, if you want to work from home, that's fine. But if you're going to work from home, yeah, I probably could pay someone five to seven bucks an hour for what you're doing. And let's just, let's just be honest here, Ben. There's a ton of corporate jobs that weren't really necessary. I'm not talking about small businesses because they're usually run their books a little bit tighter. I'm talking about corporate jobs that weren't really necessary. Uh, a lot of overkill. And part of this is because if you're a, if you grow your business and you're publicly traded and you have 5,000 employees and you paid someone to come in and they're like, oh man, you only need 2,500 employees. You cut 2,500 jobs, your stock price tanks, <laughs> right? It just tanks. And so these companies keep getting bloated and bloated and bloated. Um, and so them resetting during the pandemic was partially because of profit losses, but a lot of it's because they've like, yeah, we really don't need these, you know, 200 people. And I'm not saying that to be 
uh, cruel or rude or mean. I'm saying that's just a matter of that's just a matter of fact. No, I think you're absolutely right um, in a couple areas there. Number one, I, I would push back, though. I think generally uh, when companies, especially large corporations, when they cut headcount, I think the stock price actually goes inverse. I think it goes up because, you know, they're, they're obviously they're they're drawing. I mean, by definition, if you're cutting headcount, you're drawing more cash to the balance sheet. Right. And so well, I think the, it's hard to spin that you're cutting jobs and you're growing profit to the shareholder sometimes. Right. Because if you're, if you're laying off people, you would think that, oh, wow, stuff's going bad. If you're laying off, I think it all comes down, and yeah, I guess, yeah, I think it all comes down to the narrative that, you know, how you're couching it. If you're cutting the head count because of business concerns or or because, you know, if, if the head count uh, drop is driven by budget, that's one thing. But I think a lot of times the head count drop is purely, like I said, to, to draw more cash for the balance sheet. Because, because to your earlier point, I think it's a lot of times companies will overhire. So there's more people than need to be there, but that's not, that's not that the business is not doing well. That just means, Hey, we can, we can be just as efficient, if not more efficient with 2,500 or less people in the building. And, and again, that's 2,500 people losing their jobs. But that, I think the, I think the struggle, the thing that I struggle with the most is. So one of the things I think about here is, you know, what would happen if in like, you know, in the ramp up to the industrial revolution, if this was sort of the conversation with people were having and people were, I'm sure at that time, the people that had those jobs that, you know, when they were actually, let's go even farther back when people were, you know, spending eight hours a day, walking back and forth, bringing water back to the village and spending all day in the fields, you know, farming and tending to the cattle. And that, I mean, that was a very rough lifestyle right and then that but but a lot of times that was the only job that was available through the industrial revolution we had you know blacksmithing and had all the all the you know all of that and all of that created new jobs and, and all of that was um you know positive indicators right I, I imagine throughout all of these iterations of what you know the push towards better lifestyle and the push towards uh more abundance there were probably people that were very nervous oh my god i'm going to lose my job my my way of life is going to change but by and large every single time that we've done this throughout history has been a very good thing and so when people sorry give me one second um so when people in today's world you know talk about oh you know the uh you know all the factory workers are going to lose their jobs and we're going to lose all these unskilled worker jobs you know, yes, you know, by, by the automation, uh, you know, uh, of everything and, and you know, uh, by the you know, new iterations in technology, yeah, you're, you're going to have a ton of people that are doing sort of menial task jobs. They're going to lose their jobs because a, a computer or a machine can do it better. And that can be looked at as a, a net negative because they're losing their job. Although I would fervently push the person in the other direction of that is a net positive in the sense that that person now gets to do something else and they can be more creative. They can go do something that is beneficial in a different way. Whereas I think there's people that are stuck in this, you know, I only have one skill. I only have one job. If they take that away from me, I have nothing left. Whereas, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the push towards the, these new technologies and the, and these reduced headcounts and these things, I think they should be looked at as positive. I mean, why, you know, why should we want someone, and this is not just a domestic conversation. I mean, I think the, the great thing, you know, um, in the future is to be able to pull the billions and not, not just billion, billions with an S 
people that are in the China and, and India in regions that are way below the poverty line that are, you know, making Nike's shoes and they're putting the iPhones together and they're doing this work. Those people will be, will be replaced by machines and computers, but for their own benefit. It's not because, you know, it's not because they're losing their job. It's because they get unlocked to go do something else that actually can provide them real freedom or, or real wages that can, that can provide in a different level. So I think that's a really important part of the conversation. I don't know why you got me on that tangent or why I went on that tangent, but I think that that's an important part of this. Yeah. So, you know, I was talking to my son the other day, who's 14, this turned 14. And I was talking about what he wants to be. He said, you know, he thought about being a pilot, but he's not sure. And I said, here's the deal. Unless you want to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, something like that, that's a very um, focused discipline, then just about any job else, and, and I, I named four jobs here. There's more than that, obviously. Any job else, um, all things are equal, right? So if you want to be, um, if you like numbers and you want to be an accountant or a bookkeeper, you can do that for GM. You can do that for the dentist. You can do that, right? That, this is a job. I'm not, dismi- I'm not demeaning the job. This is a job. So all things being equal, pick the job that can make you the most money, right? Because if, you're, if, if you don't have a strong passion for wanting to do a certain thing, then pick the job that either gives you the best lifestyle, that could be vacation time or work from home or whatever, makes you the, or makes you the most money. And, and what I suggested to him was, is that real estate, in my opinion, would offer him that best path for a multitude of reasons. Um, and so I think to your point, Ben, we have kind of raised this generation coming through the industrial revolution, which was a great thing um, to think, Hey, go get a job, work at this job for 40 years and retire. Well, okay. A lot of people, a lot of jobs rather, Um, if you did X at some company, you could learn to do Y pretty easy, pretty easy, right? Or if you want to do a career change, it's not as hard, I think, as most people believe it is. And I think that's part of the great uh, resignation of as well, is that a lot of people will move industries and realize, oh, wow, I could do this a long time ago. Uh, And that's a good thing, too, because they're going to bring certain um, skills, mentalities, aspects, or whatever, um, to a new industry. And so I think there's a lot of a lot of upside for, for all of this. And uh, to your point, it will be better for if, if you are on the lower end of the income range, the mentality now is to think that there's more opportunities, not less. Now there is a, a, you know, a way that the top 1% kind of uh, (laughs) uh, accrete wealth and, and kind of try to keep us out of it. But really speaking today, if you were a iron, uh, a blacksmith working for a blacksmith in, you know, 15, 22, that was pretty much it, right? You might go be the, the the helper on the farm next door, but that was it. Today, you can do you can go you can go start selling real estate. You can learn how to code online. You can do all this stuff. And so, the Great Resignation will just push us forward as people move jobs, they reset, they they go, they figure out they don't want to be an entrepreneur, they want to be an employee, they want to be a a small owner. They they you know they have whatever it is. It will reshift the landscape. To your point, it will go globally, and that's something that I think in the U S because we've lost so many jobs because of offshoring it's had this negative connotation. Um, but, but, but I've been a big fan of it for many, many years. And I think it's something that when done well is something that we should applaud because if you go to some of these really poor areas around the world and you realize that you can pay them, you know, three, four five X what they can make, I mean, you're doing a good, you're doing a good thing. And Oh, by the way, wouldn't you rather someone like Ben pay them than Nike <laughs> or, or Apple, right? Like, let me let's, let's be serious here for a second. Wouldn't you rather Ben pay someone 
than Apple or Nike? And the answer is obviously Ben, because Ben's going to pay a fair wage. Uh, and he's opening this person up to a new, a whole new avenue, a whole new career, because now they can be a VA for Ben or Ron or Tom or uh, Sherry or whomever. One of the things I struggle with um, that, as I'm saying, it probably is not podcast appropriate, but I do this like every week. So why not? Um, one of the things that I struggle with to a degree is the entitlement of the, of the average American worker of, you know, the, 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 I think that we've moved into a realm where the employee, you know, in these 10 to 15, 10 to $20 an hour positions, not to devalue those positions, but generally, you know, if you're in that position, that generally means that that's, at least to me, that connotes that it's, you know, generally task oriented work. You're not generally going to be making, you know, at large decisions that are going to be affecting the business, um, you know, at any grand, at any fantastic level that doesn't have any oversight. Uh, and so generally, I, I hesitate to, see, you know, to use the word menial, but you know, generally they're more menial, you know, labor-oriented jobs. Um, and one of the things that I have found to be incredibly fulfilling is irrespective of price point, you know, when, when I work with the people, you know, the three the, the VAs that I have, um, I could tell each of them genuinely appreciate the opportunity, like the job are giving it their all, doing what they can to make the business better, have bought into, you know, to my vision and are, and are doing what they're asked and more. Whereas, you know, and, and it's certainly uh, specific to Midland, uh, Texas, in, you know, in a way to a degree, but I have tried a number of times in the last, you know, five, six, seven years to hire, uh, you know, executive assistant type or, or that sort of role in Midland. And the, the entitlement and sort of the that the friction to get that person to actually you know buy into the vision and, and be a, a good quality team member has been has been more difficult. I won't say it's hard, but it's it has been more difficult. Um, and I find that sort of dynamic interesting. Let me put it that way. And, and so you know, if I can if I can kill multiple birds with one stone, that's always a you know good way to go about it. And, and the you know the the birds here are. You know, someone that is passionate about helping, you know, my business and, and wants to buy into the vision um, and, and is, you know, is happy. And like you said, I mean, you know, me being able to like if I wanted to pay someone that was living in DFW, you know, three times the, the market rate to become you know, a team member, you know, you're probably talking about paying that person every bit of like somewhere between 60 to 100 dollars an hour right? As opposed to, you know, overseas, it's, it's a substantively less. And, and, and also the other thing here, guys, is, you know, you know, for those listening that have thought about, you know, hiring a virtual assistant, but haven't for any reason, um, what I'll tell you is that I sort of had that, that initial, I had, I had some hesitancy. I mean, heck, I, I don't think I hired my first virtual assistant until probably about two years ago, um, but not very seriously until, Ryan, you probably have a bit, you know, maybe I think I told you, but it's probably about a year ago or so where I really started to do this more, more seriously. And it, it has transformed my business in, in a number of different ways that I hadn't even really foreseen. Um, and I think that, you know, dipping into those foreign labor pools is a really, is really powerful and really positive thing. Yeah. Final thing I'll say is, and you touched on there a minute ago is, you know, Midland, especially when the price of oil is high is a very, very competitive labor market. And so the ask is for Ben in this case um, to compete with companies who have exponentially more dollars than him <laughs> on and a daily also, basis. 
Right. And also, you know, yeah. And also it's, it's a free market in the sense of like, yeah, I might, I might hire somebody, but 10 days later, they may get what they think is a better, you know, better offer. And not only have I now opened my books to that person and started to onboard them and spent the dollars to, you know, to go through that process. And then they're just hopping ship for the, you know, for the, for the next job, that's, you know, $10,000 a year more. Um, yeah, it, it can be, it can be incredibly difficult to, you know, um, I, I don't know if it's necessarily the, the labor force, but it can be incredibly difficult to buy that loyalty or earn that loyalty out here. Um, you know, and, and I haven't, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Whereas the VA, we talk about this job hopping thing. If you're a virtual assistant and the, the word is that you leave jobs all the time, you're probably going to have a hard time getting hired because um, if you're hiring a remote VA, there's a certain learning curve, there's a certain expectation, there's a certain time commitment that you're going to expect to put into this person um, to bring them on to be a part of your business. If they're going to leave after two or three weeks, then you're probably going to do it. Whereas in Midland, you're going to be worried that's what's going to happen because, you know, Halliburton or Schlumberger or whatever might go on a big hiring spree and they suck them all up. And so um, it, it makes it more, it makes small business owners have a better chance to compete in certain areas. So, okay. All right, Ben, um, where can people find you between now and the time that I allegedly released this podcast? Um, I don't know if I'll have changed my Twitter handle between now and then, uh, assuming it's like sometime the next like, you know, year or two, um, at underscore Ben Samuels on Twitter. Uh, and you can follow me on LinkedIn, uh, Ben Samuels. Wait, are you changing your, your Twitter again? No, that was just a dig at like, I mean, you know, you, you, you still, we have like nine months of podcast episodes in the queue. So I like, I don't, I might decide to change it sometime in the future. I mean, I don't know at, at current, I have no plans to change it. Um, for those that, that may be listening to this and, um, and if it does come out in the next like three weeks, um, I don't know if Ryan's going to come down. I'm going to try to talk him into it, but I will be in Houston for the NAEP conference, um, February 11, 12, and 13, I believe it is. And also we'll be uh, down there with, uh, Jubilee royalties, Tim Kotzman and Alex Pedraza, uh, who I think we're actually talking to uh, Tim later today on don't let the facts this, this won't be, be on again be like, when this yeah. comes out yeah, yeah this, you're wasting time now you're just talking what else is no well i mean like we don't know when this is coming out so we will have done twitter spaces by the time this comes out allegedly um but with that being said it was good to have you on i have unlike some people actually created released multiple podcasts and so um i do have that credibility if nothing else um if you're hearing this go check out the five wide business newsletter 5y.biz or find me on twitter at Ryan senior with that we'll be back next week